Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and one minute, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the mystery of the British Airways flights avoiding French airspace. ANA flies the Star Wars crew from Los Angeles to London. No more hoverboards in planes. Kayak launches Snap, the SMS-based booking service. Atlanta reaches 100 million passengers in 2015. How many seats can you cram in a 747 or an A380? Disembarking a Boeing 737 with a ladder. Don't believe everything you read. MH132 didn't get lost in Australia. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 31 to Nice, hi Alex. Nice, nice. We must be the only goofballs who go to Nice in the middle of the winter. Yeah, well, I think it's a good place to be in the winter, isn't it? It's on the Mediterranean coast. It should be not as cold as it is here. Yeah, absolutely. But I used to work there. I'll tell the story at the end of the show. And going in the winter is not this is really not the same thing as going in the summer. I mean, it's a totally different, different kind of destination. Though, yeah, you're right. We have winds and floods and everything here in the UK. So I'd rather be in Nice today. I'd rather be anywhere right now. <laughs> but... Have you seen Star Wars? Yes, of course I have. So? I cried like a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was magnificent. Yeah, I mean, was... let's we're not here to do a review of the movie, but it was fantastic. Maybe because we're an older generation that grew up with the other movies, I don't know, but it was just fantastic. Yeah, it was and... it was uh I, I think it's the first movie I've I've ever cried in. <laughs> but yeah, spectacular. Go and see it if you haven't seen it. And uh, obviously the company, we mentioned it, uh, it was a few months ago that has been using, uh, officially using Star Wars as branding is ANA, the Japanese airline. And uh, they've been actually mil milking that cow very much. They really have. I'm fascinated to know what they paid for that. Yeah, I don't know exactly because in, during the world premiere in Hollywood, they had on the red carpet, they had a mock-up of their a Dreamliner with the colors and the actors when they are inside it. Then oh, wow. what I didn't know is that an actual plane, the R2-T2 one, I think, flew all the guys from uh, just after the premiere ended in Hollywood to London for the European premiere. So they flew ANA from LAX to London Heathrow with ANA. Wow. It's crazy. This is, yeah, I mean, they must have paid a lot of money to do that. Come a on. ton of money. Wow. That, I didn't know that. We said that you are going to Tokyo uh, later in January and I want to join you there. And I was trying to find, I said, you know what? I usually knew fly Emirates, the usual stuff. And I say, I want to fly that plane. It's very difficult to know when it's going to fly to because it's, they say the routes that are currently, if you go on the website, I'll put the, the link in the show notes. They say which are the routes they're currently doing. Right. The only one Dreamliner that is painted, the two others are coming up in the spring, but they don't say which days. So you just don't know. Oh, that's annoying. But I have anybody from ANA knows and can tell me, uh, apparently it flies to Charles de Gaulle and I'm ready to go to Paris. Yeah, I was going to say, because I don't think, it, I don't think it flies to London because they do a triple seven out of London. But uh, I like your dedication that you would fly to to Paris or Helsinki or wherever else they fly. Yeah, I, I would have to <laughs> definitely do it. But I mean, so if anyone from ANA knows that uh, exactly when it flies in January to Paris, either direction, I'll be ready to take up the offer and come. So yeah, there well, you go. I would love to. So please, ANA, help me here. Uh, you're my only hope. <laughs> was, uh, nice. <laughs> they also released uh, a video on YouTube, ANA, on their official channel. They did a flight with that plane uh, with a lot of uh, you know, guests, uh, including media. Everybody was, of course, disguised as characters. It's a funny video to watch. I love very near the end, the pilot says, hyperdrive will not be used for this flight. Nice. And you so, because you were doing a search on Kayak, and Kayak has been also doing something. Yeah, right? they, this is so cute. I just ha happened to notice that Kayak... I still use Kayak frequently when I'm searching for flights because Google Flights is great, but people like Emirates and Turkish and sometimes Singapore Airlines and a host of other airlines 
don't show up in Google Flights. So Kayak is still fantastic. But I was searching for some flights uh, last week, and the progress bar is now a lightsaber. So this kind of <laughs> this lightsaber blade, I guess it is, extends as your search is going on. So very clever and, and cute integration. A secret flying that we've been talking a lot about, as well as implementing something like that, when whilst you wait, the page loads, the loading uh, kind of drawing is a lightsaber as well. Nice. <laughs> and for those who are really into it, back to ANA, they have a special shop. So if you have air miles uh, accrued on ANA, maybe you'll have some Alex in the future. You can buy some uh, crazy stuff, like really, like there's like cotton for makeup and stuff, like all branded Star Wars. It's really crazy. They're wow. milking that cow a lot. One day, I'm sure we'll learn how much it cost them to do that because it's really, really, really impressive. A few shout outs for new listeners. We got new listeners through Product Hunt. So hi, Product Hunters. Very nice of you to upvote us uh, every time we put an episode there. Uh, John Pivois told me, lives in Cork in Ireland, told me that his resolution for 2016 is to listen to our show. So, oh, that's a good resolution. I like that one. <laughs> and a lot of pressure for us, actually. Yeah. Suki Fuller, she's a part of the Fantastic Four. Four gals live here in London, along with Jessica, Christelle, and Oana. Uh, she's been uh, listening to the show. She's also been, uh, you remember we mentioned last week, uh, My Trouble Risk. That potential yeah. new startups. She's, so she told me about a startup, uh, I think it's called Saitora. I don't have the name in front of me. They do uh, risk intelligence. So Suki, yeah, it's amazing. And I hope they use this data once for travel. Because, But what they do is instead of using the data from uh, the U.S. government, U.K. governments, and other uh, public entities, they assess risk with a lot of data points. So it would be very interesting to have that also to know when we travel, if it's really risky or not. But I don't think they actually really work on travel yet. But I mean, thank you, Suki, for mentioning that company. We'll be on the lookout for it. We also promised, because it's the last episode of 2015, that next year we're going to tackle the big airports we have been avoiding. Yeah. <laughs> like JFK, like Charles de Gaulle, Narita, very dear to my heart. The reason I've been avoiding it is that it almost requires a full show to talk about it. The history of Narita is crazy. So I promise you guys, because I've got some requests, people say, why don't you never talk about these airports? We will go there, I promise you. And the last shout out is to Airbus. Airbus, uh, the company was created on December 18th, 1970. So they are 45 years old. So happy birthday, Airbus. Uh, another thing, last week when I talked about the different travel apps, you remember TripIt, Kayak, Worldmate, and uh, Tripcase, the one thing I completely forgot to mention, and a friend of mine, Rico Wider, who lives in, is a, he travels a lot and blogs about his travels. He reminded me of something when I was discussing with him about it, is that TripIt has an API. Yes. And that's something that still makes it stand out of the crowd because you use, I think, Alex, OpenFlights. Yeah, right? OpenFlights.org for kind of logging and looking back on and analyzing all of the trips that I've taken, which is it's a really great website. I love it. And you can import your trips from TripIt. Yeah, because if you had to do it manually, it would be a pain. But this exactly. integration is, is, is really smooth. And the same with Fly to From, the same with App India. There's a lot of apps that are using TripIt as their foundation for importing trips. So this is something that uh, basically I would say to Tripcase, Walmart, and other guys, you know what? You should actually implement an API and then you'll be sending out as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So App in the Air, I just mentioned it. They just got with a new version. Uh, I don't know if you use it, Alex, but now if you like your statistics, they do a very nice statistics. It's an iPhone app. I don't think it exists on Android. And they do also these just the statistics you mentioned on OpenFlight. They do very nice graphics on the app. It's pretty cool. Uh, you should try that. They could tell you per year, per month, what kind of plane you fly the most, uh, the destinations you flew the most to, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, A320 is still the aircraft applied the most, which is a fine of it's sad. I love you guys, Airbus, but the A320 is not the most endearing yeah, aircraft, it's right? it's a little bit boring. <laughs> but you know what? That's a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Kayak, uh, which I also mentioned, is going into the, is launching a beta. It's called Kayak Snap. So you'll be able, Alex, to uh, look for uh, bookings and look for flight fares via messaging, via SMS. Would this you is, use that? Um, probably not. But I think that this is going to be a bigger and bigger thing as these sort of messaging and concierge services really take off. I think this it's is crazy. Huh? This is everybody definitely moves a there. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a trend. Everybody moves there. It's true that a lot of more and more of your time is spent at messaging apps. It probably in Facebook Messenger, but on WeChat if you live in China and a few others. But I mean, it's probably it's going somewhere, right? Yeah, it's, yeah uh, it definitely. I, is. You and me were probably still kind of. I don't believe they can be as good as us, basically. 
No, no, I don't, and I don't think so either. But I think that for people that are of that connected generation who are okay with that messaging format, it's going to be huge for them. If you're interested in that, there's a article. It's called "The Future of Travel" by McKinsey, the famous consultants. I uh, please read it. They talked about messaging as well. It's pretty well done. I know McKinsey is not always the the people love to hate McKinsey's. Hell, these are big consultants. But it's pretty interesting to read about the future of travel. And talking about uh, apps still, I found the other day, it's an actual app that's been released and actually works, uh, Fairfly. Uh, have you seen that, Alex? I am not 100% sure how I understand how it works. So the idea, and I've not tried it yet, but I will. And the idea is pretty interesting. So in all the other apps we've been talking pretty much all this year are a different take on how do you book a flight, right? Or how do you find a fare? This one lets you do, Alex, you do your fare, you do everything yourself. Yeah. Once you've booked... You sent your booking confirmation to them. And what they'll do, they'll actually continue to be on the lookout for a, a price that beats what you've gotten, including the changing fee that for changing the, the ticket. I find the value proposition pretty okay. I don't know if they have a case, a business model case. I don't know if enough people would do it. But you know what? The cost is, I would try it. I would say, you know what? Yeah. Here's what I What found. do you have to lose? Exactly. Can you bid it? If you bid it, I'll be happy to pay you a little fee for a finding fee for finding me a better ticket. Wow. That's okay. It. It's, yeah. I mean, I have I have a load of flights for the first quarter of next year already lined up, so I'm going to give it a whirl. It's live, so you can download it. I think it's both on Android and and uh, on iPhone. It's also a website, so go ahead uh, and try it. How many flights do you have in January? Uh, oh, in January. Oh, sorry, sorry Q1. Sorry, you mentioned oh, yeah, Q1. Eight? Oh, my God. So are you addicted to air miles? Because that's the article you sent me, right? Yeah. So this is, <laughs> this is a very funny article, and I, I'm I think it's true. I think it's 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 a it's a confessional. It was in uh, New York Magazine, written in a very tongue-in-cheek way about this guy's addiction to air miles. But it's written in a way, kind of, as someone who's got a much darker addiction to something that's that's uh, you know a bit more nefarious and not good for you. But it's it's extremely funny. And this guy's kind of outlining for for the the novices of the world what it is and how he got from you know from nothing to silver to silver to gold and all of these kind of I need to I need to go to London for the day and explaining to people who look <laughs> at him with you know in, in a kind of in, incredulous fashion incredulity that's the word I was looking for um, and you know how much he's spent on tickets and to, to get all these miles but the I'm not going to ruin the punchline but there's a very funny exchange at the end that kind of yeah that wraps this whole thing together. I, I think it's it's such a great caricature of those of us who chase status. You know, it's a work of fiction, obviously, because we don't know anyone like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah clearly. it's uh, No one's like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, even you and me, when we exchange daily about like you were looking for flights, uh, there's always this loyalty in air miles. Although it's not a primary concern, price is still a primary concern, and sometimes ease of getting Definitely. to a destination. It matters. You're like, yeah, but you know, I could accrue miles there, which also means that then I could use those miles to actually, you know, upgrade myself or buy other tickets. It still yeah. matters. Yeah, it does. It did. You, you, it's it's another one of the many things you consider when you're booking a ticket. Another article that was uh, very well done is the New York Times, The Art of Turning Around an Airplane. This uh, was so great. The, the New York Times does really these kind of series of articles that are really well done with nice infographics. Uh, they show you what it actually requires. It's not entirely a mystery, but for those of you who don't know what it actually takes to turn around an airplane. And we know that nowadays, especially on, on short haul, it has to be very, very fast. Yeah. And it shows you all the steps. It's very well done. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's I th- yeah, very, I think it's an important thing for people to realize the amount of effort and the amount of people involved to take a plane from landing to then being ready to to take off again in a very short period of time. It's it's not a simple or straightforward process. And I think we overlook that. And we tend to sometimes also complain at airports, oh, why can't I board already? And, you know, I see the plane over there. Yeah, well, it landed 10 minutes ago. Leave a little bit of time to yeah. people to clean. You know, it's, there's a, there's this thing where we, we want immediacy for everything and we don't realize the work that is being undertaken in the background. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a story that has been made around in Switzerland. So the um, ex-emir of Qatar has apparently broken his leg in a vacation in Morocco. And he flew to an emergency to Switzerland, uh, to Zurich, to get a surgery, I guess. Until now, the story is nothing very extraordinary. <laughs> the thing is that 
After he landed, these people got worried, and up to nine jumbo jets arrived at Zurich Airport That's <laughs> to staggering. basically fly the entire family, I guess, from all over the world, mainly from Qatar. The reason it made the rounds in Switzerland is because it broke a Zurich Airport as flight ban during nighttime. They all arrived during the night, so of course it makes a bigger fuss. Like, why don't they, you know, follow regulations? But I mean, come on, nine jets? Nine. That's incredible. And they were all, as you say, or a, a lot of them were 747s. I think they have a 747-800 as well. I think so. In their, yeah, in their like, fleet. Yeah. I would love if anyone is a plane spotter in Zurich that he, he got or she got the chance to take a picture of all these aircraft because that must be a rare sight to see all of them next to each other at Zurich Airport. Maybe only in, in Doha, but in Doha they must be hidden in the hangar. So that maybe, you know, please, if someone has a picture, I'll, I'll, I'll be on the lookout on airliners, but I mean, wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, that would be quite uh, quite a collection. And, you know, if you have so many aircrafts, of course, uh, Alex and myself would be very happy to take one of your 747s for our own use. You know, we'll just brand it layover. So they are. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the U.S. So last episodes, we talked about how Al Baker of Qatar Airways lashed out against the U.S. airlines, especially against Richard Anderson. But Anderson just got a little bit of consolation, right? He was named as Aviation Week's Person of the Year. That's not an endorsement or a criticism. It's just someone who has been in the spotlight for one reason or another, and, and he got it. He sounds like a painfully dull individual. There's this uh, profile that they wrote on him. He doesn't like schmoozing. He doesn't like golf. He doesn't like fishing. He doesn't like Hawaii. He says, if Boeing wants to sell us aircraft, they better come down to Atlanta and see me in the office. This is not a club. This is a business. Settle down, dude. It's like, But at the same time, let's be also honest. For all we can criticize Delta, you started on a company that are very, very profitable. Absolutely. They, in isolation, he has done an extraordinary job. A extraordinary job, job. yeah. The yeah. stock price is whole time high. I mean, it's he's doing a great job. And, you know, uh, of course, there's this spat with the Middle Eastern. This is how, especially here in Europe, we hear the most about him. But come on, he's, he's made a really good job. Yeah. And so there's, a, there's some reason why he was elected, although we know that these kind of awards are maybe directed or whatever. But, you know, he's not a... He's a good CEO. Yeah, yeah. He, he is. Maybe done, not likable, but a good CEO. He's done a good job with with that airline, and I think uh, if you take the ME three thing away, you know, it's a good it's a good product, and he's seen, he's clearly a good businessman. Talking about the ME three Emirates, a, a small thing, but I got the alert the other day. So Emirates is now forbidding hoverboards on board. So hoverboards are not the ones that you find in uh, Back, Back to the, the future. future. They actually have wheels, but they've been like so popular this Christmas, you know, these little two-wheel thing. And yeah, they're like stand on them. segways without the handle. Basically, uh, Emirates is actually forbidding them. Why? Because of lithium-ion batteries. It's yeah. honestly understandable. Most, most airlines have banned them. In fact, Russell Crowe oh, threw an absolute that. fit at the airport <laughs> uh, a couple of days ago at Virgin Australia. Because he wasn't allowed to take his hoverboard on, on the airplane. But this, oh, a wow. lot of airlines are doing this for the exact same reason. Actually, I read that I think it was this morning. Amazon is clamping down on this because a lot of them are coming from apparently dodgy Chinese manufacturers. Yeah. By dodgy, I mean quality control is not there. So, so you can only imagine if the batteries are not well laden to the the hoverboard, what could happen in the plane. Very so dangerous. I understand why they. Yeah, I understand why they would actually. Uh, Ban them. Coming back to Europe, BA has released an update of their uh, iPhone app. Uh, I think you've tried it as well, right? Yes. It's very, it has, very good. It, it has one thing that is new is now how to find awards flights. So when you have some air miles, you used to have to go to the website. You can do it directly on the app. They're not the first one to do that, but the way it's done is really smart. It's yeah, really well done. Their, their apps in general have been very, very good. And this... This new iteration or latest iteration of it is is extremely good. But talking about B, the big mystery for us, and we've been actually active on Twitter about that, has been so many friends of mine. So, you know, I'm a regular on London to Geneva because my dad lives in Geneva and back. I always fly a Swiss uh, because I have status in Star Alliance, not on BA. Uh, but a lot of friends of mine actually use BA. And lately they've been telling me, Paul, okay, my plane is being delayed. Uh, so there's been a lot of fog 
in Geneva. So that's, of course, a reason for why delays happen. And I've been delayed myself with my Swiss flight for more than three hours when I went there. So, and the fog was really thick. So that's, that's usual. What is not usual is that when you look at uh, Flight Radar 24 or Plane Finder, you see that BA flights are avoiding French airspace. Yeah, it's the weirdest damn thing. These short, it's short haul. Some of the ones from North Africa or Africa in general are not. They're flying over French airspace. But you and I found more and more and more flights that were going the long way around, just hugging the the French Swiss or French German border. And I asked the guys on Plane Finder on Twitter, and they responded immediately, which is really cool. And they said, yeah, that is weird. Ask BA. So I asked BA, and BA's response on Twitter was basically no comment. So Yeah, actually, if you look, I found a few tweets, because some people that were just passengers say, why is my flight taking 20 to 30 minutes more than usual? And the answer from BA on Twitter was, we're not aware of anything. Like, come on, guys, you're not aware of anything. Your flights are clearly delayed. And the... Pilots, and this is really interesting, I've asked four different friends to whom it happened, and they each had a different explanation by the pilots, which means they had to find something. So the first one I heard in two times was industrial action by French ATC. The thing is, when you actually look it up, uh, even in a French press, uh, specialized air civilization press, there's nothing about an air stri- uh, no. uh, a strike anywhere. So there's not a strike. Some others said it was because of weather conditions, because that's hard to assess because you have to be on the day. But I mean, it's consistent. They consistently avoid for at least a month and a half. The most likely explanation, there are two. And what you found one, right? Yeah, there was there was a conversation on Flyer Talk about this, and somebody suggested that there was new equipment being installed at the Brest ATC uh, facility, which is a key European ATC facility, and it was taking a little bit longer to get everything back up, and so capacity was reduced. That that seems logical and fair, but why aren't they saying that? Why why is no one giving yeah, a straight answer? Yeah, exactly, it's really really strange. When we first heard about it, our first kind of uh, inclining was like, is there a safety reason, right? Mm. Uh, that's strange because obviously that would mean that they would avoid France airspace altogether, that other airlines, because uh, the main other two competitors for that route are EasyJet and Swiss. They both go straight. So it's only BA. So it's very strange that we don't really know. It's I went through the various websites in French because I, sp- I speak the language to see what the official were saying about the uh, potential reduction in French airspace. So there's no safety reason mentioned. Uh, they're not well maintained, these websites, to be honest. I mean, the news are like sometimes a few months old. But there's one thing that could be there's a new planning of um, how the airspace is coordinated between the UK and France. And that could maybe explain it. I don't know. There's a new approach to uh, London Heathrow. So they slow down the planes way before what they used to uh, until now. That's interesting. And that would be still in, in the French airspace or the Belgian airspace above it uh, in order to limit the old, you know, polling pattern over London. Could it be that? I don't know. But it's strange that nobody says anything. Yeah, I, they could just say it's an air traffic control capacity issue. And then we can deduce from that that the original theory is correct. But the no comment thing is weird. Maybe our show will lead some people to investigate, but nobody seems to know. We've been asking around and it's only theory. So none of us actually know uh, anything. So, but at least they're going the right direction because there's been this story and I want to listen to you because uh, I think it was exaggerated. Uh, If you've been uh, anywhere online in the past few days, we're recording today on December the 30th, uh, 2015. Everybody mentioned that Malaysian Airlines uh, flight that supposedly took a wrong route for almost an hour in the totally opposite direction it was supposed to. Yeah, this got the tabloid treatment, and it's from what I understand, it didn't really deserve it. But essentially, the Malaysian Airlines operations sent one flight plan, and that was loaded into the computers. Then a second one was later added, but that wasn't properly communicated. So the plane took off, and this was going from Auckland in New Zealand to Kuala Lumpur. And they were flying a little further south than they normally do for about an hour before the pilot said, hey, this is weird. Do you guys have any idea what's going on? And ATC said, this is what we've been given. 
And it sounds like that these two flight plans were not communicated correctly or someone didn't review them properly. There was never any safety issue or it wasn't lost or going where it, sh- it shouldn't have gone. It was it was going where the controllers told it to go. Yeah. Um, and look, and that's know, the main point, I think, because when you read, you, you, you just mentioned the tabloid treatment, it was like, yeah, the pilots didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, they were flying the in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, like they were stupid. No, like, it, no, come on, guys. It, there was clearly, of course, a mix-up. We don't know exactly who was at fault here, but there was, like you said, there was never a problem with safety. The plane was going the direction it was supposed to go according to its flight plan. There's just two different flight plans, and they at some point they, they realized that it got out of sync. I mean, AV Herald, uh, Aviation Herald, which is such a great website and is is heavily populated by people in the industry. The comments are like, I don't understand how this was ever newsworthy. This happens all the time. But, you know, I think, well, we all know why. It's because it's Malaysian, sadly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's in the midst of this all. So uh, December was the month with the whole rebranding. We know that rebranding was very limited. But was was the rebranding was supposed to start? We talked about last episode that they've done now that deal with Emirates. It's still it seems still in ebb and flow. It's still in the the full plan by Mueller is still not there. Yeah, but I, we haven't. It's seen sad that. that people keep pushing on that airline. They should just leave it alone for a little bit. Yeah, let it do its thing. Let him do his thing as well. I totally agree with that one. Uh, back to back to Europe uh, with Lufthansa. Just to mention that uh, they've updated their app as well, like all these apps are done. Not that we always track all the apps, but the interesting bit that I read through it is that apparently now Munich Airport is uh, using beacons because the, all the wayfinding and everything we've been talking about at Frankfurt Airport is must be now implemented at Munich Airport because through the app of uh, Lufthansa, you can now find where the lounge are, et cetera, et cetera. So it means that uh, they are going in that direction as well. Nice. Good news. Talking still about uh, Germany, Frankfurt Airport has hit 60 million passengers uh, for the first time uh, this year. So they're growing. They're actually not growing that fast. Uh, so Heathrow is still number one in Europe. Uh, Charles de Gaulle still number two. Uh, there's now a debate if whether Amsterdam is number three or uh, Frankfurt is number three. That doesn't really matter. The pace of growth is nothing compared to the pace of growth like Istanbul or, of course, Dubai or right. any Chinese airports. Uh, I say that because there have been some articles in German that are saying basically that, yeah, well, it's going bigger, but guys, we're losing the race. Of course, that doesn't even talk about Ethro in its third runway. Yeah, <laughs> but the big news is that Atlanta uh, Airport has reached 100 million passengers. Wow. 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 That's a, it's just interest, two interesting points there. I think Istanbul, you really feel that that air, airport has outgrown its yeah. its capacity. Purpose. Like it's yeah. it's it's dark and dingy and and cruddy and crowded. So I'm I cannot wait for them to open their their new airport. And Atlanta's really interesting as well. Some of those terminals are awful, but some of them are really very solid. And the yeah. the what they're able to do with a facility that is really kind of disconnected. I think there's like seven terminals or something like that. But the the it works. It clearly works. It it, it wouldn't be able to ha- handle 100 million passengers if it didn't work. So I, you know, it gets a lot of crap, but that's a good airport. Hey, remember last episode we said about the the airports that were considered uh, good overall in the U.S. So the big airports, Atlanta is considered, and their on time arrival landings and departures are also pretty good. So yeah. for such a big airport, it's quite a feat because you have much smaller airports that are really crap and they cannot handle their situation. And hundred million passenger still works. Yeah. Uh, it's not a fantastic airport in terms of design, in terms of it's not endearing, but it works really well. Currently, the hundred millionth passenger. Got a special, you know, red carpet thing. I think you want a car. Nice. You want uh, tickets by, I think, with Delta offered some tickets. And they were like, that was really, all the other passengers the same day got uh, pins and keychains, which, of course, you were not the 100 millionth, but still, it's, it's, they, made, they made it a point to make some kind of celebration. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty That's nice. That's cool. To another very uh, heavy airport, of course, we're talking about our airport here, Heathrow. But it's so heavy uh, that there's so at capacity that Virgin Atlantic was able to find a new way to raise money. That's pretty amazing, actually. It's a very innovative idea. So Virgin are mortgaging some of its takeoffs and landing slots at Heathrow to fund future growth. The value of these slots, because as you say, Heathrow is so oversubscribed, is so great that there are investors willing to lend against their value to the tune of, in this instance, 220 million pounds. 
So it's basically Jeez. it's a secured note. No no one has, has ever done this before, but it's genius, really. It is. And I think it is. It answers something that we we talked about a few episodes ago. Virgin Atlantic had set up this wholly owned subsidiary called Virgin Atlantic International Limited. And that's kind of the safety net for these investors that they can then yeah. Put the the liability, if you will, into that that vehicle. So it's it's really smart. Kudos to the, to the CFO or whoever came up with this idea because they've freed up two hundred and twenty million quid to fund the expansion of the airline. Which, by the way, reminds me, we talked in the last episode about the comments by the BA. I think it was the chief exec who said, "Oh, if you don't get a third runway, we're going to get out of here." Yeah. Uh, I want to because I should have said that last week. Of course, a lot of it is just. Posturing. They say that, posturing, because, you know, they have 52% of the capacity at Ethereum. They will never leave Ethereum for crying out loud. They need Ethereum, but it's all the game because I had, the reason I mentioned that is because some people got to me on, on email and said, of course, they will never leave. Yeah, you're right, guys. Of course, you will, they will never leave, but still, they have to make some pressure to the government. Yeah. So I, I understand know. what they do. I don't think they were ever threatening to leave Ethereum. They were just going to take their investment and growth to the other two hubs. So they, their presence at Ethereum would stay the same, but they would... They would shift their emphasis away to Madrid. Yeah, but then at the same time, you you cannot. I mean, they they, they might, of course, shift a little bit of the emphasis, but still, Ethereum is a financial city of the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you cannot just say, "Oh, Alex, if you want to fly to Hong Kong, you got to go first flight to uh, from London to Madrid and then to Hong Kong." You'll be like, "What are you talking about, guys?" You know. So there's a limit to that threat because at at the same time, London is too important of a of a city to be able to just say, oh, we're going to go way of... Uh, no, I definitely agree. But and the other virgin, your virgin. My virgin. Alex. <laughs> so what's the news about your virgin? So they uh, have put in an order for some A321s, which took me by surprise. Um, I, there was Why? always well, there was always rumor of it, and they're they're A three twenty one neos. I should I should add. Yeah, then, yep, yep. Um, I thought this is what they were going to use for their Hawaii routes, but they actually they didn't. They end up using some some A three twenties with uh, the Leap engines, from what I understand. But they're this is a really sensible move. So they're getting ten A three twenty ones to increase capacity on slot at slot restricted airports like JFK. So they can basically take more people using less slots and taking advantage of those slots. So good idea. Do you think they will become at some point, a, or are they a more Airbus company than Boeing? Uh, as a group? Well, each each airline, each of the Virgin Airlines operates independently. Uh, definitely, but I'm talking about uh, Virgin America. Oh, they'll always be Airbus. I think. Well, not always, but they they have always been Airbus in their um, nearly 10-year history. I don't, I don't see that changing. Because in the U.S., it's quite a statement to do that. <laughs> it is. But, I mean, you look at JetBlue, you look at Frontier, you look at Yeah, that's, the low-cost do that, yeah. They're all all Airbus. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. So it's, uh, no, it's, it's interesting to see that because a lot of uh, people assume that the U.S. market is a bit of lock-in. I mean, you'll you'll see Airbuses, but it's more like a balance of the Boeing play. It's not usually uh, most of the airlines, especially the traditional ones, are primarily Boeing. So yeah. you expect to see a lot of Boeing. So yeah. it's interesting. But I mean, even United on their on their narrow body are moving heavily towards Airbus and away from Boeing. Airbus. Well, I mean, it's good to have competition because you also, you know, they can, you could play that game between the two main manufacturers and soon, maybe soon to be more. I mean, we have a little bit more. We have the Embraers, we have Bombardier. We talked about, it was, I think, four episodes ago about uh, Mitsubishi, the, the Japanese manufacturer that was finally supposed to come with his aircraft and apparently is delayed. The delay is now about a year, so that's a bit of bad news uh, because were, everybody was kind of expecting uh, the, the aircraft to be ready, etc. And apparently, yeah. the, the, it's 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 I don't know. I don't know if the the other news we had before were just too hasty. Oh, we're ready. We're about to, to to give it to the world, and now they they they're coming back. It's a it, it of course hits uh, some of the the companies that have placed orders because now you know a full year for an airline. It's actually quite it's a long, long time, especially when you be, built your fleet strategy on it. But it's it's but the, it's weird because I, I don't know maybe I don't know why I thought this, but I I assumed this would be just a home run. It wouldn't even be a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it has had problems, and I guess when it's your first plane, really, mm-hmm. you you're going to run into these pro- t- kind of problems. But they they have 
225 orders and 184 options from airlines, mm-hmm. not just in Japan. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, Sky West in the U.S. have ordered 100 of them. So as you say, that's a real, real kick in the teeth. But you know, you don't, you don't do things like this unless you have to. So uh, yeah, I, ho- of course, I no, hope of they're course. able to solve whatever problem they they're running into. But on the other side of the spectrum, more better news for, uh, and actually very good news for the guys in Russia because the Sukhoi is getting more orders. <laughs> the city, yeah, it is. So CityJet uh, have taken uh, the options for six more. They already have uh, several of them on order, 10, I believe. Yeah, we talked about it. In, yeah. No, well, that's great. That aircraft must be really good. Well, here's well, the, missed- I forgot about this until I read an airliner's trip report that Interjet in Mexico have 16 Superjets in service already. I completely spaced on that. And they, apparently it's a fantastic airplane. Someone was saying, uh, this person on the trip report was saying that they seem to uh, show wear and tear a little bit longer, but uh, a little bit Earlier? more obviously, yeah, than, than yeah, something yeah. as robust as a 737. But I'd forgotten well, that this this has there, been in the air for a while now. It's a newer aircraft. They will learn also their lessons for the wear and tear. I'm talking, it's, you know, Boeing has, you know, years and decades of experience about how to create aircraft that last long. And Sukhoi will learn as well. You but know, the they, crazy uh, thing is the Superjet has been flying since 2008 and was introduced into airline service in 2011. 11. Yeah, exactly. That's what I remember. That's the date I remember. I didn't know about 2000, the 2008 or I just spaced out on it either uh, as well. Pretty amazing. Well, it's uh, it's good news. Good. I like competition. I like more aircrafts, more different. Also, because you know, as I said in the beginning, although they're not a competitor, competitor of the A three twenty, I'd like to fly different aircrafts. You know, <laughs> I like to see something else. So more Embraers, more C series for etc. I'd like to see a lot more different aircrafts in the air. Uh, but before we move on, CityJet apparently is about to be sold again. Maybe uh, we're not sure. You know, they're the only rumors. They seem to be changing hands uh, quite often, that company, which means either two things. Either the owners were not the right fit or they're actually such a good company that, you know, people are really willing to pay the price for it. But talking about Bombardier, so the CS100 is finally getting his all clear to take off. He's getting a license. That's good news. That is good news. And it's it's kind of strange that all of these single aisle planes are coming onto the market. So Mitsubishi uh, will get there eventually, I'm sure. The Superjet, now Bombardier, Embraer coming out with a new version of the E-Jet uh, next year, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and I guess the question with the Bombardier C-Series is, will they run out of money before this plane ever flies? Yeah. Yeah, because this they've been hemorrhaging cash. And yeah, there've been rum- rumors that they wanted to sell themselves to Airbus at some point. Yeah, or sell the production line to Boeing, and I don't yeah. think I don't think anybody's going to do it. So they just have to hope that they can get this thing to customers before they run out of cash. Yeah, because it looks like a great airplane as well. Honestly, yeah, uh, yeah it's, a, it's it's a stunning airplane, very beautiful. So let's hope they make it because it's again. I repeat this thing I said two minutes ago, but it's nice to have competition in more aircraft. Yeah, and also for us, for people like you and me, we like to see different aircraft. And I don't like my Avro liner. I know you like them, so I like to fly something like a CS hundred more than an Avro liner. Back to a story that sadly we have to go back to uh, Egypt. Uh, so we said last uh, episode that the UK was pushing to reopen Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, their routes to Sharm el-Sheikh, but apparently there's been kind of a, it was more of a political decision, let's, you know, let's push for the reopening, but the airlines are like, no, 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 yep. we're not going to go there. We're going to wait, and the wait is actually quite long. And I remind for people who don't know, Sharm el-Sheikh is a very popular tourist destination, holiday destination from Europe, from the UK especially, from Russia as well, and uh in the UK, uh, even Thompson and all the guys are saying, you know, we're going to wait, wait. It's not yeah. safe enough. So it's not a good sign. Yeah. So even if the UK government says, fine, you can fly, no one is going to. Thompson, Thomas Cook have said they're not going to fly until at least the end of March. And everybody else is at least at the end of January. But what's strange about this and, and some other stories we're going to talk about shortly is that we haven't heard anything conclusive about this. Mm-mm. First, it was, yes, it was definitely a bomb. Then, the, as we mentioned in the last show, the Egyptian authorities said, we can't find any traces of a bomb. And that's it. That We haven't heard anything since. Well, then again, you know, uh, these kind of inv- investigations take time. So it's not as if, but you would, you would think they would rush it. But maybe there are also some negotiations behind the scene. And we don't know what happens. We don't yeah. know what to believe first and we don't know what happens. 
We mentioned several, again, another sad news. We mentioned several shows in a row that there have been bomb threats that all have been proven uh, fake bomb threats uh, in different aircrafts. Air France has suffered a lot, but also Turkish it was, and I think another airline. But this time, it got a little bit more serious because it was this flight, uh, the Air France flight again, that was flying from Mauritius uh, back to Charles de Gaulle. And they found a bomb. So that's the whole thing that we're going to discuss about now. But they found a bomb in one of the lavatories. The first news we all gotten through on Twitter was like, oh, wow, they actually found a bomb. So the plane was rerouted to Kenya. It landed there. They cleared the bomb. And then, well, it wasn't apparently a bomb because, you know, I will put a picture. The show, it looks like a bomb. It more like, looks like a bomb that we see in Die Hard. You know, like the yeah. kind of. It was like four toilet roll cardboard things with us kitchen timer attached to it i mean it was, it yeah, was yeah, one or two kitchen timers and a fm antenna so they looked like something looked of, like, of a prop yeah a prop i would have been if i would have been the guy to discovered that thing in the lavatory i would have been freaked out even yeah. though it looked like a prop like, no no on, i mean i find that there's something absolutely. With a plug I mean, on it. if i if i'd gone into the lab and i'd seen that then i would have i would have flipped out and i don't think anybody else would have reacted any differently but it all started to kind of unravel. The plane was on the ground. And then there's these really casual pictures of this quote unquote bomb being posted on Twitter. You're like, what? What? How? Okay, why has this been removed from the airplane? How are people standing around what is supposed to be an explosive device? And then you had the CEO of Air France coming online, basically pissed off saying, some jerk did this and it's cost us a lot of money, thanks to the Kenyan government for, for doing their jobs. And that's the last we've heard of it. We don't know. Yes. They've arrested someone because I've been reading the French press to try to continue to, to get into the story. They've arrested one passenger. They said at first it was two, apparently just one. Again, I don't have the full picture here. So, so people understand because a lot of people were thinking, okay, that device, that prop, had been placed before the plane took off. No, because they've been around, apparently that's, again, the story we have, around in the entire aircraft before the passengers um, board. There was nothing in the lavatories. It's clearly coming from someone inside the plane. Of course, then people say, oh, it went through the x-ray. Yeah, because if it's just like two clocks and, uh, you know, and basically toilet roll, of course it would go through yeah, the x-ray. Yeah, nothing's going to Exactly. That's gonna, yeah, so... Let's not accuse you of the Mauritian authorities for doing anything wrong because nobody would have seen it. But still, if it's a prank, it's very problematic. If it's a dry run now, that's what's meaning- frightening. Can you assemble this with the parts that we've you know smuggled on board? Uh, and I think you know if yes, but th- there's a, even holes in that story. Like if you absolutely, if, yeah. if you could, if they thought they were doing a dry run, why would they have just left it there to get caught? You know, they would have just gone, yes, I can get this into the bathroom and leave. It's it's a fishy story and I, I, we haven't heard the end of it. But as I just said it earlier, we haven't heard anything about Egypt. So, and I, I was surprised by the dismissive tone of the Air France CEO. Perhaps it didn't translate as well as it could have, but- Yeah, because just, in French, it was not as dismissive, but I think you could see, you use the term pissed off. I think it, it was- this stuff is maybe too much, but he was like, almost like, come on, guys. We've had all these planes we routed already. I mentioned Loic and his plane to, was routed to Montreal and now one more, but this time there's like, it gets scarier. The, the airline is suffering. You know, the airline in Europe, in terms of the health of the airline, Air France is suffering a lot. So I guess it's here is like, guys, enough, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, and, enough. and I get it. Let's also be, because there've been uh, some people that criticize the use of the term bomb. The Kenya Airport Authority was the first one to say yeah. there was a bomb. So it's it's not as if people just invented there was a bomb. They they said it. Of course, then they changed to suspicious object. But for the first two hours, people were talking about a bomb. It is really scary. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. We don't know what to believe either here. To be honest, right? It's uh, it's strange. But to go to something more light, because enough of the bad stories. <laughs> when we were exchanging you and me about that story, I said, "Have you read the number of passengers in that area?" Yeah. That was the thing that I thought, oh, that's clearly a typo. But there were 459 people on that plane. And it was a 777-300, which has 468 seats. And so that kind of sparked off a conversation between you and I about the capacity of of these planes um, throughout history. So the the, the seat map of that version of that uh, 777-300ER, so exchange range, you have very few seats in the front, a few very uh, premium seats, and then the rest is just a stack of economy and economy and economy. That discussion led me to think about the old 747-400D, which was D for domestic. They were made for Japan uh, for these very 
very heavy routes, especially Osaka to Tokyo, and how many passengers could they have? Yeah. Because we had said, uh, in the, I think it was also in the last episode, that Emirates, the A380 with the, the two-class, was now at 615 passengers. Were well, there more? So I, I digged up, and I found that ANA still runs uh, 777-300 with a capacity of 514 passengers. Staggering. That's a lot, honestly. JAL uh, still has a 747-400D, uh, the domestic version. That's 568 passengers. That's amazing. <laughs> just, just looking at the seat map, you're like, what? <laughs> but ANA, they retired the last 747-400D on April 1st. I'll put the, the link in the show notes because they made a whole ceremony. It was really nice. Especially you and me, Alex, we love our 747s. Nice to see an airline giving a proper send-off to such an aircraft. Nice. 624 passengers in that one. Jeez. That's more than the A380 currently with Emirates with two clients. And, and to be fair, I mean, these were domestic flights, so they, ne- they were never particularly long. But still, that's, that's extraordinary. Aerostral wanted to do an all-economy A380, and that would have made 840 seats <laughs> could it even get off the ground <laughs> i don't know but i mean crazy right it, will, yeah. it might happen one day we never know no, i'm sure it will <laughs> have you flown one of these very heavy economy no. planes no. i don't think so no no we don't have those in europe that's also maybe why uh, i've seen the 747 400d on the ground in, in, in japan but i've never actually entered one or maybe i have actually uh, I'll, you know what? I'll dig up my old boarding passes from the last decade and I'll find it if I've done it. I'll talk, we'll talk about it next year. A few other news. Uh, first, Twitter implemented that thing called Twitter Moments. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, it's this thing where basically it creates stories from happenings around the world and it's pretty well done. I don't know if I'm going to use it, but the first time I actually got that, the first story was a story about someone flying without an ID in a U.S. airport. And I always thought it was impossible to fly without an ID, any type of ID, whether it's a driver's license or not. Apparently, it's possible. Uh, that person explains how she, I think she's a she, she had forgotten all their IDs at home. She was able to show a magazine which was addressed to her so she, that has her, her name on it, which, come on, it's not really an ID. She was put on through some person on the phone, must be some kind of security somewhere, and that person asked her a few questions and uh, then vetted her, and she was able to get into the flight. Wow. It's I don't know how I feel about that. Talking about Twitter, <laughs> you you sent me a picture of uh, a Norwegian flight that had a, a little problem. So my, my, my friend David Prager... He was in Stockholm uh, over the festive period, and uh, he tweeted out that during the de-icing process at at, uh, Stockholm Airport, it looks like the de-icing equipment knocked off a piece of the wing. (laughs) And uh, he took a a picture of it and posted it on Twitter. It was not a small piece. I mean, it was probably four feet long. I think it was part of the winglet from what I can see. Anyway, um, what was crazy is two two things were really interesting about this. He was very lucky because apparently they had a just and this was on a seven eighty seven. They just happened to have another one nearby, so I think they were all taken off the plane and reboarded onto the spare flight, and all all went accordingly. But tangentially, on Twitter, the amount of news and media organizations that messaged him and said, "Can we use this? Use the picture. Use this picture." And it's sort of this happens an alarming amount of times where. You know, a piece of airport equipment, quote unquote, interferes with a plane. Um, I was amazed. It just went all over the place. So uh, it was kind of neat to see Prager all over the news for, for good, for, I mean, for a good reason. It's something that he wasn't directly involved with. But uh, yeah, I mean, ouch. <laughs> we both saw that news. It was a, a service vehicle that collided with a jet bridge at Bismarck Airport. The picture is also like, what? So you see basically the, the that vehicle that basically tried to go under the jet bridge. And of course, th- there was no clearance and it just basically crashed. Yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of it barfed uh, de-icing fluid all over the tarmac in this kind of green supernatural fluid. These are always, I mean, fun. They're not fun because obviously they, they, they cost money. But for us, it's always kind of fun to see. Yeah. They're not. Nobody got hurt. Know, exactly. They're not grave stories. We're not talking about 
bomb threats and all that. It, it happens, you know, shit happens. Exactly, airports, exactly. Even at very efficient airports and so what. Talking about shit happens, it was an article by, <laughs> uh, I read it in Life Hacker, but it came from Travel Plus Leisure, which is very well known amongst the travel industry. And they ranked the 10 worst in-flight service uh, airlines. So I'm just going to go quickly through them. They're pretty much all domestic. Spirit is first, Allegiant second, EasyJet, uh, ouch, third, American Eagle fourth, Frontier fifth, US Airways, United, AirTran, American Airlines, and Air China is tenth. What do you think? I think uh, it's going to skew heavily towards an American audience anyway, which is why you see mostly U.S. airlines. But again, not surprising. We all know how poor most American airlines are. Uh, I think EasyJet, Easy uh, that's really surprising to me. I think that's, that's very harsh. Um, uh, the rest of I them, agree. I've never flown on AirTran. I know that Spirit is consistently horrific everybody says that yeah air china we also hear it's 10th we hear some bad stories about it I, i'm not sure because i haven't taken it in a long while but i find that at least easyjet number three is that's surprising to me because you know yeah of course there's no there's like very few service because that's what you pay for you know that's the kind of expectations and i always found at least in my experience I always found that the crew was young and smiling and funny. You could yeah. interact with them. It was it was a pretty okay experience. Like I, honestly, I don't. I, I would actually rank Ryanair much higher than EasyJet if it was like those comparisons. So of course, anyway, if I flip that around, uh, Skift has done an interesting analysis of the world's uh, best airline brands, how they rank by consumers. It's a bit of a. I'm not sure I agree with the methodology how they actually rank the airlines. They went through looking at their activity on social and how they. You know what kind of advertising, etc. There's a bit, there's a bit of soft uh, metrics here. Yeah, I've, I'm always wary of these types of things, but they did good work on this. Yeah, as they they always exactly. Do. They explained the. I'll put the link. They explained the mythology, and unsurprisingly, number one is Emirates. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean the amount of money uh, that those guys pl- pump into brand development is extraordinary. With yeah. and and I think they do a really good job because they're. They're using the right vehicles, and I use that in the loosest sense of the word, to talk to to different audiences. So the Jennifer Aniston thing was lighthearted way to talk to a specific audience, especially sort of middle-class Americans, about the product and showing how much better they could have it if they didn't insist on flying on U.S. airlines. They used the jetpack stunt to kind of show how cool and progressive and how basically they have, you know, bottomless amounts of money available to them. Uh, then also the ad with uh, Real Madrid. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They, to the crowd of plays football. It was actually a very funny one. Uh, they, all the, all the ones during the world cup as well last year. So, I mean, they're such a large airline and they have such, of course, guests a very large amount to spend on advertising and on social channels. So they, it's true that they play very well yeah. uh, with that. So it's not surprising. Number two is Turkish. So Turkish, we have uh, both, uh, you know, like this inconsistent airline. But in terms of communication, if you remove the product that we actually experience. Yes, they've done an the product, extraordinary job. Yeah, it's also very good. It looks like uh, it's very well done. It's very consistent across the board. It's uh, stylish without to be being nosy. It's uh, it's honestly, it's very, very well done. Yeah. It's the product, some part of the product, uh, the hard product, I still has to catch up with that. But yeah. <laughs> and I number they call it tier two. But it's number three, if you want, is American Airlines. So that's interesting. They spent a lot of money, haven't they, on kind of trying to develop their, their brand or redevelop their brand and image, and especially in the U.S. And some of the stuff they put out has actually been, again, pretty good. If you remove it from the service and just take a look at what they've done to communicate themselves as a brand, they, they've done good work. And then we're not going to go through through the old list. Uh, Air France comes next, which I found very surprising that they're in front of KLM. But it's true that Air France is also very nice, very French type of advertising uh, on, uh, look at their youtube channel if you have time it's actually really well done very classy advertising dreamy advertising so it's, mm. it's really well done so again it's only a brand valuation the methodology you can always of course argue with it but i think it's interesting that they do that skift and skift as a sort of reputation they do their works so it's nice that they did to to read that once uh, a year now going back to something a bit funny uh have you seen that news with these aircraft in uh it was in nigeria when they had to disembark passengers with a ladder. <laughs> yeah, I I did. And I don't really know how to react to it. There is a picture, uh, no, a video of a normal metallic stepladder propped up against this 737 with people climbing down it. <laughs> like, it's just, 
it's the most extraordinary thing. And apparently the the stairs the weren't working and they couldn't get them to the aircraft. So they said, look, wait and we'll get you off the airplane. And someone said, no, screw that and went and got a ladder and they started climbing down the airplane. I don't really know who, who to believe. But it's. I mean, it's not. It's not newsworthy, but but I found pretty funny because have you ever boarded a plane with a with a ladder? No. I mean, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I've never done that. But and the, the the excuse of the airport is a bit sketchy. Is like, yeah, well, they were working, but we were late putting the thing. Probably, like you said, some passenger was like, I really want to get out. Maybe they've been waiting forever already. You never know how, it, how the, the actual backstory. But to see people so disembarking through a ladder. Now, I wish I could do that from A380. That would be cool. <laughs> You'd need a hell of a ladder. I think, <laughs> I mean, this is, so, this is so often why there's specific models of the 737 that have the stairs built into the aircraft. Oh, yeah. That true. they can, right. for, for exactly this purpose, where they don't have the capabilities at the airports, the more remote airports to get people off. So, uh, boy, they, they really could have used that on, on this particular they don't plane. Do, but they don't do them anymore. Do I they? think they still make the 737 model that has it, but it's, okay. it's for very, I mean, I know Ryanair have them, um, but it's it's for very specific, oh, yeah. specific right. uh, um, airports and, and aircraft. So finally, a good story. Uh, moving into the next year, uh, next episode will be next year. Uh, it's a finally the U.S. and Cuba have met an agreement. You'll be if you live in the U.S., you'll be able to fly to and back Cuba, and I think that's pretty good news. It's a nice destination to see. So I find great. that very warming. It's great. It's a great story. And apparently, there's almost like a gold rush. All the airlines oh, in the US are pushing for Ralph's there now. I bet. And I, you know, to anybody who's thinking, anybody who is not an American who's thinking of going to Cuba, I would suggest that you go now before it turns into Cancun. I mean, it's good It's good news from the Cuba economy. It would be foreign. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. In the country. No, no, it's country. Tourism it's, it's, is great. So it's, it's all good. But... Well, yeah, you're right. Probably the more you wait, the more it'll become like Disneyland or something. So it's it's better to to go uh, as soon as possible. Uh, so moving to an airport that I haven't been in, I was thinking about it the other day. So Nice Airport, which the proper name is Nice France Côte d'Azur, or because it basically covers the entire south of France. The last time I landed there was 2001. Oh wow. Or 2000. Uh, actually, the second terminal wasn't even built. Uh, it was being built. So uh, my recollection of the airport is a bit uh, tough. So I'll let you run with it and I'll add some stuff. So what do you think about the airport? Yeah, it's a, it's a good airport. Not not too heavy on amenities in Terminal 2, which is the one I fly out of the most. Because that's where EasyJet fly in and out of. It, As you say, it, it not only serves a lot of the, of the South... Uh, east of France, but it also serves Monaco. Uh, it's the closest yes. airport to to Monaco and Monte Carlo. And I went there twice last year um, for to Monaco to, to Monaco. Yeah, for for nice. for speaking uh, engagement. Yeah, you say that. Well, you, actually, you I should. Your, you have your bank account or something, right? Yes, yeah, so I had to go. And, I had to go and withdraw some money. Actually, I tell a lie. <laughs> one one was to go to Monte Carlo. The other was to go to Cannes. So <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that one. One of the reasons that airport is very famous is that. When there's a Cannes Festival, the film festival, everybody, of course, arrives uh, in, in Nice. When, of course, there's a Formula One Grand Prix in Monaco, okay. everybody arrives also in yeah. Nice. And it's also the French Riviera. It's a great destination, especially during the, the summer. The beaches are fantastic. It's, of course, it's France's great food. It's a, I think it's the third busiest in France. It's yeah. not, do not think it as a small airport. I mean, it's very heavily EasyJet, interestingly. Yep. Uh, so I think it was 99, not 2001. So it's even actually further than I thought. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was back then already flying uh, EasyJet to go there. It was uh, from Geneva because Geneva was an early hub for, for EasyJet in, in Europe. I was working, and that's the third reason why you would go there. I was the fourth reason I was working in Sofia Antipolis. Sofia Antipolis is basically a sub of a, nowadays you would call it a startup incubator city or something, but basically they've been collecting a lot of, you know, innovative companies, et cetera. And that's where I was going. That's why I was flying there all the time. So nice. right. But the one thing I absolutely wanted to say you can use, I think it's limited, it's not now if you fly there, you can use. Ubercopter. Yes, and that's exactly what I did. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. So I went. I went to Monte Carlo, and the traffic in Monte Carlo. There's only one road really from Nice to from yeah. Nice to Monte Carlo, and it's a one lane mountainous road that, if the traffic is bad or you hit it the wrong time, can take a very very long time. And I was leaving an event in Monte Carlo late, and somebody said, "Look, just take the helicopter." 
And I was like, what are you talking about? And so they drove me down and it was, <laughs> it was very cheap. And so you, you go through security, you buy a ticket and you jump on a helicopter and the, they've got this ramp that's got constant helicopter activity, four or five helicopters landing and taking off constantly with this going in, in, in various different directions. And so do you jump in? Um, maybe there's three other people with you and the pilot. And oh. you fly out over the sea and then you fly over Nice Airport. And so there are planes landing underneath you. And wow. you you land on the far side of the airport. So the helipad is on one side. Then there's the runways and then there's a terminal. So this bus picks you up. You drive underneath the runways and they take you through the sort of VIP back door into the airport. And it's not as baller as it sounds. It was not. It was under 100 euros. If time wow. is time is a crunch, I would strongly recommend doing it. And I, I yeah. I'll, I'll post some video. It was damn good fun. Oh, you did you, you did, took a video of it? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, I want to see it. I was, wow, you. So see the difference between Alex and I. So when Alex goes to Nice, he takes the helicopter. Well, I was just going to rent an easy rent a car. <laughs> so, <laughs> we see the difference of class here. No, uh, so Uber Uber has has it as well. Uber copter option apparently. In uh, when you land at Nice, only in the summer, probably only around you know the Cannes Festival and the big events. I wouldn't be sure. Maybe also the Lions and you know the Cannes Lions, which is their advertising. Uh, and I would say also something. It's a nice landing. Uh, so the airport is built on uh, part of reclaimed uh, sea uh, yes. land on the sea. Sorry, and you have nice views when you land. You actually can, depending on where you sit, you can see uh, Nice and uh, the French Riviera when you land. So it's actually pretty, uh, pretty nice uh, airport to land at. Uh, apparently, also as a pilot, it's a very nice airport to land at. But I've never done that, sadly. Is it a good airport for layovers? Mm, I think it's short on amenities, and to get into Nice itself is a bit of a pain. So I would say no. Well, there you go. Our last airport of the year, and that's not a good for layovers. So let's see which airport we're going to start with uh, next year. We have already a tons of stories. We have also a lot of guests we have lined up for next year. But until then, well, happy new year, Alex. Yeah, happy new year, guys. See you on the flip side. <laughs> happy travels. Bye. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.